Blog Talk Radio. Williams, 
no, you know, he's a running Definitely. back, you know. But that same, you know, I have so many other interests in how important is football to you. I did not hear that about his younger brother today. Uh, and I have been – His older granted, brother. I've been with – older brother, sorry. I've been with um, the girls today. I took them to work with me so everybody could see them while they were on break. So I haven't really been on as much because I've been chasing them around the office. Uh, but, yeah, that's yeah, – they're just supremely talented. Uh, that, that's just really weird. I don't know if one's related to the other so so much, but but mercy. But, yeah, but back to him, I uh, – you know, it's just a disappointing end for the dude that has that much talent. I didn't know that that was the word on him on the league. So that's going to cost you some money. That being your, you know, your perception around the league and given what you just did, that may drop him out of the first round. He's almost like a uh, like a Clinton Portis. If you remember when okay. Clinton Portis came yeah. in. And Clinton Portis was a weird, weird dude. Luckily, Clinton mm-hmm. was talented enough to kind of overcome it. Yeah, and 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 Clinton is still a weird dude. If you ever see him on TV, he's oh, still yeah. talking about the side of his neck. So that's so, that's what they talk about with Kenichi, wearing skinny jeans everywhere. Um, there's oh, some reports that he wants to be a movie star, and just weird things you wouldn't really expect from a 300 pound man. But therein, he he will get drafted in the first round. Um, all these things that can be picked apart. Some team will fall in love with the fact that he's a six foot five, runs like a linebacker, and can get pressure from anywhere. Yeah, and the thing about it is, don't get me wrong. If he drops out of the first round, when they come the next day, somebody's going to move up either to get into the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round to pick him up because that talent's going to trump. It's just that he could have been much higher without these uh, off the field issues. Uh, from one off field issue to the other, uh, Will Greer transferring from Florida. And I wonder, uh, it, the first thing I thought about is, I wonder if Nick Eason knew that was coming before he made his decision to go to Georgia as opposed to spending more time thinking about Florida. I can understand Greer needing a change of scenery, and, you know, if they get somebody else in there who plays well for the first six games, uh, he's not going to get a chance to get back in the ball game. So I was listening to that earlier uh, to you guys show in the front row, and it's probably a good idea uh, for him to transfer to a lower division and be able to play right away next year as opposed to, you know, waiting another the whole year next year, I think he's got to try to get back on the field. But that's actually the first thing I thought about was I wonder if Nick Easton reopens his recruiting or did he know that this was going to happen when he uh, had his press conference saying he was staying committed to Georgia. It's just totally weird. I mean, yeah, you want to go down to a lower level and play right away. But as soon as he moves back up, that suspension will follow. That's not something that just goes away. So if he goes to a lower division, he's going to be stuck playing at a lower division. And when he comes up, he's still going to have that six games looming over his head. Um, I don't know if Jacob Eason knew that or not. That's a good point. Uh, I don't know if it will make him open his recruiting again. Uh, I think he really just wanted to meet Kirby Smart. And knowing that he's got Jim Chaney at Georgia, who worked with Drew Brees, I think that's a Mm -hmm. really big selling card. I don't – I don't expect him to go to Florida besides it's a totally different offense, more spread, and he likes pro style. So I, I don't think Georgia fans really need to worry. I think he's going to stay. But it, it does shine a really bad light on Florida. I mean, you saw Treon Harris cannot get the job done offensively, and it's it's going to look like it did when it was Will Muschamp again. Yeah, well, the only thing about it is I'm not uh, super versed in Florida's recruiting, but – if I'm coming in from Florida and I'm thinking about going to Florida as a quarterback and I've watched them play, that I think it might be a little bit of the reverse. It might have me a little fired up because you have talent on the offensive side of the ball. 
and Florida normally keeps a good defense, you know, pretty much year in and year out. You're going to lose some of those guys in the NFL, but they reload on defense. The problem has just been they haven't had a quarterback. If I'm a highly touted quarterback, I'm looking at that as a a super opportunity because you've got the one guy who was the incumbent, so you thought, hey, he might be back in week six or seven. Now he's leaving, and if you don't feel like you can beat Treon Harrison, you don't deserve to go to Florida anyway. So, Well, it does look like they're slowly poaching. They are slowly poaching. Uh, the number two quarterback in the nation this year, uh, Felipe Franks. He had been okay. expected to go to LSU, but Florida has come on very strong, and right now Florida is the projected destination. So I don't, I don't know if you can really ask Franks to come in and start right away. Not everybody can do it. We'll, what Will Greer did, and let's mm-hmm. not forget, PD accusations aside, the things that Greer was doing were phenomenal as a freshman. I mean the yeah. complete dismantling of Ole Miss. I mean, the guy looked like a seasoned player. He looked like a veteran playing. You didn't see him make many mistakes. He didn't throw a lot of interceptions. So whoever gets him is getting a fantastic quarterback. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and, I, and I'm sure they're coming after him left and right. Um, and agree, he was having a fantastic year. I mean, I guess also the shuffle, that's a great point. He was having a fantastic year. Somebody's going to get a steal um, due to, you know, to the PEDs. But it's just – you're right, it's just a weird situation – but there, and from one weird quarterback situation to another, I kind of want to just throw this in here for a second. What is going on at Texas A&M? Uh, they can't keep Yeah, that is not good. It's, it's not, and I wonder if Kevin Sumlin maybe, you know, instead of leaving a little early and, and saying, oh, what if? Yeah, I wonder if this is now the, the, the movement to push him out. Like, you know what, uh, I'm not dealing with these kids and their dads and their crazy demands. And, you know, if it rains on one day, they get mad and they want to transfer, you know, that kind of crazy stuff. Because it, I understood last year when I was the Hill, I believe, transferred, it, it kind of solidified what the quarterback situation was going to be. But now I'm losing your quarterback now, and they don't have anybody in the wing. So it's not a matter of too many prospects of playing time. They're not going to scramble to get a quarterback in there. I wonder if this is just a straw, you know, to, to finally push them to say, okay, you know, it may be time for me to spread my wings and see what I can do with the NFL. And your guy, Tom Herman, is looking smarter by the minute. You realize by staying yeah, in Houston is. now, in the next couple of years, he's building a recruiting base in Houston, which, by the way, may be joining the Big 12 sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And you realize that the Texas job and the Texas A&M job may be open within two years. So he could be basically even paid $3 million to build up his recruiting contacts to move to the big schools in Texas. Absolutely. And the thing about it is also to that point, and I want to uh, transition for a second, but you're absolutely right. If you take that position there, you may not have to leave, right, based off what you just said. If you build up Houston and, and building up Houston, you get all the surrounding areas where you've got that phenomenal recruiting base. And then across the state of Texas, maybe Charlie Strong doesn't make it in Texas. How, how patient are they going to be with him? Like we just talked about, maybe Kevin Sutherland moves on. And if the Big 12 keeps looking and says, okay, we got to get a conference championship game. Where do we look around to see? Oh, look what's happening down there in Houston and Tom Herman. You may not even have to move because now that you're in Houston and you move into the Big 12, you've moved into the big time. So you don't necessarily have to go to another uh, program and say, oh, to move up when you are guaranteed a berth now, right, when the Big 12 gets a championship game. If you do well in Houston and you win the Big 12 championship game, then you got a shot at going to the playoffs. So you're right. He's he's looking like a genius right now. And it's uh, – it, it, I'm, you know, for me personally, I'm glad to see it. I thought maybe he was making a mistake by not jumping to any other jobs, but 
if you can recruit in Texas and get a good recruit base in Texas and get another job in Texas or somewhere in that Midwest region and keep those connections, you can be in business. I think it's a good – I think it's a great move, and I'm happy for him as well. Um, you know, he would have been the South Carolina coach if he'd wanted the job, but I'm not wholly convinced that South Carolina's a better job than Houston anyway. It's more well-known, of course, because it's in the SEC, but right. historically South Carolina's bottom-tier SEC, and Houston historically is a good program anyway. And if you've got the potential to jump to either Austin or College Station, all you're mm-hmm. doing is making it easier by getting all of those recruiting contacts. And in the next probably maybe I would guess probably the next five years, Tom Herman is going to be one of these power power school coaches. Yeah, the, the only thing about it I would see is like you said the notoriety of the SEC and the fact that I have a chance to always play for the national championship if I can win the SEC, where you can't say that right now for the Big 12, given what happened last year when they got left out. That's the only reason why you would maybe put South Carolina higher. But outside of that, no, because you know, Texas recruiting basically is much better than it is in South Carolina. Um, so that's uh, to put a bow on our college discussion for now. We were going to talk about some bowl games, but as we look through the list, outside of those been you know, year six, yeah, I mean, you're going to get some frantic finishes because that always happens in bowl season. But outside of the New York Six, uh, which we'll get to next week, uh, there wasn't any that really kind of jumped out. So we're going to table that discussion for next week uh, to give my man Dylan more time to give us his Atlanta Falcon blueprint for the offseason. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yes, sir. But before we get to that, I don't think we can have an NFL discussion without the ridiculousness that was OBJ and Norman in the Meadowlands. I I don't know outside of maybe when, you know, Dion – and Andre Risen, you know, would punch each other in the face. That I've ever seen anything like that, and I'm I know in the new age of football, not you know 60s and 70s, where you could just pretty much just kick somebody in the knee and they went through a flag, or somebody has taken off and led with their helmet and hit somebody else in the helmet on purpose, not in a tackle, not you know to to cause a fumble for no football play other than I am trying to end your day and maybe end your season and maybe end your career kind. Of collision, um, he's lucky that Norman didn't get hurt for real because one game would have been the rest of the season. I, I I think that's just me personally. I haven't read that anywhere. But if he had a broken Norman's jaw or give him a, a back concussion where he cost uh, the Panthers not only the best quarterback but a shot at maybe at a, at a perfect season, I think he would have been done for the year. That's always hard to gauge, and Dion had a great take on it on uh, his show on the NFL Network where, uh, you know, he was he was kind of saying that these types of things happen and, you know, the jump the gun reaction is, oh, my goodness, I can't believe the last time I've seen it. Well, you have seen it before. Roddy got into it um, a couple seasons ago with Cortland Finnegan. And speaking of Cortland Finnegan, the last big time I can remember something this crazy happening was Andre mm-hmm. Johnson and Cortland Finnegan where Andre Johnson ripped his helmet off. And while everybody's focusing on Beckham, Let's not forget Norman body slammed him earlier. And this is that's Norman's game. He gets you off your game and he completely took Beckham out of his game and that's a big reason why what happened. You saw the drop earlier in the game, it just kinda escalated. I mean, that is Josh Norman's thing, and they've got Cortland Finnegan on that team, so they know exactly what they're doing. And it it's just one of those things where you're right, he's lucky that Norman didn't get seriously hurt, but this is one of those things that happens. And I think more importantly, it showed teams that you can get into Beckham's head, and that's something he's going to have to overcome if he really wants to be a great in this game. 
I, I agree with it. The, the the body slamming I've seen happen, you know, the hand slaps to the helmet I've seen happen. But I can't recall where I've seen somebody take a 10-yard running start for, for at the end of a play, take a 10-yard running start and launch themselves head first into somebody else's head with the intent to Hines go have done that with the helmet. Hines did that for years. Hines Ford did that for years. What happened to your boy Keith Rivers? Yeah, but that was in the middle of a play. That it was a it was a dirty, shitty play. Don't get me wrong, but that was a <laughs> crackback block in the middle of a play. That play where he did that, that was over, and he came. Oh yeah, it was complete bush in. Yeah, it, 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 it was. I mean, they're both bush league, but you can almost, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, say, okay, well, he was it's a, a crackback block. You know, the whistle hadn't been blown. The whistle was blown. And here he comes running in and, and just – So you're never going to get me to say anything bad about Heinz Ward ever. Heinz Ward yeah, is a football player for me. Yeah, I know, and I hate Heinz Ward. And we're just going to have to agree to disagree You only hate Heinz Ward because he tore you guys up for so many years. I hate Heinz Ward because Pittsburgh – because he played for Pittsburgh, for one, and they <laughs> are one of the dirtiest teams that everybody holds up. They're the – Shining beacon of the NFL, them and the Patriots. They cheat more than anybody I know, and they hardly ever get called to the carpet on it. It's one of the reasons. Real quick, but, before and, we move on, I have to ask this question, yeah. though. Sure. What about if Hines would play for your Bengals? Oh, of course, if he plays for your team, you love him. He's one of those guys that are like, you know, Dennis Rodman or Bill Lane Beard, that you know they're filthy, they're dirty, and nobody likes him except for that team's fan base. But if he's on your team, he's great. So I get why the Pittsburgh on your fans team is like one of the best ever. Yeah, I get why Georgia fans love him. I get why Pittsburgh fans love him because he's going to get down in the weeds and do the dirt for you. But for everybody else, they're not going to like him. It's just going to be that's just going to be the fact that it matters. Yeah, as he's being dirty and taking your knees out or breaking your jaw. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know we'll let we'll let we'll let that rest. And I, I'll, again, I'm, I'm just glad that Norm wasn't seriously hurt. Um, and, and Roddy started actually. Um, I forgot to mention yeah. Roddy started up yeah. the uh, conversation today, talking about how Norman's not all that. So we'll, we'll, let's see how it goes this week. I could see something. I could see him trying to do the same thing to Julio this week. Uh, I don't think it would yeah, affect I, Julio. That. That's not Julio's game. But I could right. definitely see him and Roddy getting into it at some point in this game. Yeah, and I, I, I saw that. And, I, and the first thing I thought was. Why would you say that right now, Roddy, when you're going to play them? After they destroyed you, I was in Charlotte for that whooping. Why would you say that? I mean, you got shut out. Be quiet. I mean, I like Roddy White, but that to me is just asinine. Go yeah. sit in the corner. Okay? Don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't think it's good to poke the bear. No. No, not when you got to play the bear the next week. I can see if you were done with them. That's, that's crazy. Uh, so, as we talk about the Falcons, Finally, and I just don't get the Falcons, you know. And we and you had talked about it for everybody listening. Uh, when the news came out about Justin Blackman being suspended again for the DUI, and we were talking about how scary that Jacksonville team could be with Hearns and Robinson and Thomas and then yelled in the backfield. And Denard Robinson is okay to fill in here and there or be a change of pace back. Uh, and I didn't, being in Jacksonville, I didn't expect the slide to stop there, but they played Jacksonville tough. And you saw, woo-hoo, Devontae Freeman show up, and woo, let's get Julio the ball. It's a good idea, you think? And, you know, they carried the team like we know they could. So I, they're so Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that I just don't know what to do with them. And I, real fast, because I'm going to throw it to you to talk about the Falcons and get into your offseason plans. Uh, at a larger level, uh, the, the NFL, I think we found out this week, you know, we're just talking about seeds at this point. Um, I don't want to get too far into the weeds of it. Uh, we talked about it every week. You guys are saying, uh, the same seven, just about in the AFC. 
um, the New England, Cincinnati, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, and New York. And then in the NFC, I think you you pretty much, I think, are saying, I don't think the Packers are going to get in. I think it's just seeding now no. with Carolina, Arizona, Green Bay. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, they, and mathematically, they're still alive, but it's over. Uh, Washington, Seattle, Minnesota. So we'll talk about that a little bit more next week after we get these waves of games because the Cincinnati-Denver game is huge for the, uh, for the buy in the AFC. But I am highly anticipating this Falcons offseason plan. So I'm going to sit back and be quiet. Speak on uh, on the game against Jacksonville uh, if you want to add any more to that. And then the, the, the floor is yours to, to tell everybody listening what the Falcons should be doing in 2016 to prepare to, to put a better product on the field. Well, don't mind if I do. Before I start, <laughs> while it's nice to see the Falcons win, it's come about five weeks too late. And now you're at that point where you're kind of hurting your own draft position. You're not making the playoffs. It's not going to happen. So don't win meaningless games. And I'm not usually a fan of tanking, but you'll see why in a second. The difference can be picking from potentially the 11th pick, 12th pick. But if you win out and go 9-7, and seven, you're potentially dropping yourself down to the 17th or 18th pick. And that's not a good thing, especially when you have so many holes. But speaking of those holes, this is the part where all of you go ahead and grab a chair, get a nice cup of coffee ready. And prepare to be amazed. I have been working on this for probably about three or four weeks now. Now, I'm going to start this out. When I say this is an off-season plan, we're going to start off with free agent targets. Some you may know. Some you may not even know are going to be free agents and who I think they should target. First up, Bruce Irvin from Seattle. Now, that one everybody should know. Let's basically assume that's a done deal. He wants to play for Quinn again. Um more than likely, he'd be a defensive end in this scheme. I doubt he'd be playing outside linebacker. He can, but his, he's more to bring off the edge, and he's a fantastic speed rusher. Vic uh, Beasley's incredibly fast. Bruce Irvin may be faster. Bruce Irvin ran a 4-4 at the combine. <clears throat> Just causes havoc. Um, only thing is he has to keep his head on straight. That tends to be his deal, and that's been his deal going back to West Virginia. Now, that one I think is pretty much a done deal. Now, if the Falcons play their cards right, they can end up with around 25 to $35 million in cap space if they release a lot of people, which we can go into that a little bit later. We won't have time for that today. Um, <clears throat> a few others I've got on here are going to be under the radar. And after I've gone through, I will tell you who should be the main picks. <clears throat> Nigel Bradham. He's an outside linebacker from the Bills. Um, some of you more diehards may have heard of him. Nigel Bradham is a fantastic linebacker. You haven't heard of him as much because he's been on the Bills. He's had a little bit of injury troubles, not nothing too bad. He's he's extremely fast, complete sideline-to-sideline side defender, and he's a great tackler. He's not a big hitter, but great form, wraps up all the time, good in coverage. And you will notice the theme with these linebackers. Nigel Bradham is another one that I have starred as somebody you I really think the Falcons should go after. Your boy Marvin Jones. A big target. He's about six oh. one. Sometimes I'll list him at six two. He's a little small. He's about one ninety. But what Marvin Jones? He's not the fastest. He's not the best route runner. But what Marvin Jones does extremely well is he can create that little instant of separation. And his run after the catch ability is phenomenal. If you pair him mm-hmm. up with Julio Jones, with Justin Hardy in the slot, and with one of my targets I'll talk to you about later. You've got a great passing duo to take over from Roddy White, and you don't have to have that rookie curve that comes in. Next, I've got Derek Johnson, and this, to me, may be the most important off-season move the Falcons could make. 
Derek Johnson, not many of you may know him because he's kind of been hidden out in Kansas City, but all Derek Johnson has done for 10 years is be a tackling machine. 100 yeah. tackles every year for the last 10 years. Derek Johnson is a master at, move, at moving through space. He's not the biggest or the strongest, but he is shifty enough that he gets around blockers. His instincts are phenomenal, and he is a fantastic leader. Derek Johnson would be an instant upgrade over anybody in your linebacking core, and he's the exact person you want around young talent. Not to mention, he's still a fantastic player. Mm-hmm. I've also got Rolando McLean on here. I don't think he's as good a fit, but if you miss out on Johnson, McLean would would be a good backup. Um, everybody knows McLean's story. got drafted number eight overall to the Raiders where his career just plummeted. He retired for a little bit, got into a bit of trouble, came back with Dallas, and he's resurrected his career. Uh, he's finally playing like everybody thought he would come out of Bama. He's a fast linebacker. He's a hard thumper up in the middle. He can actually cover very well. Uh, some things people are going to wonder if he's a system guy. He's still a little too hot-headed and gets in a little too much trouble for me to really be that comfortable with, to really want him around a young and multiple defense. But he would not be a bad backup. Good everywhere. Nick Fairley is also, I believe he's going to be a free agent. Uh, he would take a monster contract to land him. Don't get me wrong. Nick Fairley, though, talent-wise, may be, behind Adama Kung Su, the best defensive lineman in the game, and behind Aaron Donald, his teammate. Um, Nick Fairley, when when he's right, oh, 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 he's motivated. Geno Atkins. Yeah, that too. Hey, don't Gino. Okay, so he's in the yeah. top five. We'll just say top five <laughs> because I believe uh, um, what's his name over there in Kansas City might uh, might get mad at me if he heard that. Don Terry Paul. Yep. Yeah, but uh, Nick Fairley, when his mind is right and he's motivated, is a complete monster. He's in the backfield constantly. He's fast. He's strong. He's huge. He can do it all. The problem is that motivation. And you saw it a lot with the Lions. He came in overweight a lot. He got into trouble a good bit. He was not a great locker room guy. I haven't heard anything bad about him while being in St. Louis, but it's only been a season, and I worry about giving him a big contract, much like you know with Andre Smith. And, mm-hmm. and it would take a huge contract to land him. Uh, looking past that, if you want some good line help, and the Falcons, this should be a themed line everywhere. Brandon Mebane is going to be uh, an under is going to be an unrestricted, uh, unrestricted free agent. Sorry, uh, from Seattle, he's very very solid tackle. He's strong as an ox, okay. uh, fantastic against the run. He's been the stalwart of that defensive line for years. So I, I think that's a really good fit, and I think it's going to be a sneaky fit with Dan Quinn. Um, He's not a great pass rusher by any stretch of the means. Very lackluster. But what he does is he's extremely strong at the point of uh, the point of attack, holds blockers, and frees up your linebackers very well. I think that would be a great get. And I don't think you'd have to pay him too much. I think you can get away with maybe $3 million a year, maybe four. Um, another one that you know, the Falcons do need safety help because William Moore more than likely will be released this year. He's just not fast enough, and he can't tackle in this new age. He launches, and he can't wrap up. Uh, George Aloka from your Bengals would be another really good fit for the Falcons. He's not typically the hitter that Dan Quinn wants at strong safety, but he's a good, strong hitter. He's very tall, very rangy, 6'4", about 215. Uh, He's he's quick. He's not blazing fast, but he is much faster than William Moore, and he is great in playing center field. 
He's got a good mm-hmm. nose for the ball, and he's not afraid to stick his head in there, and that is all great things to have in your defense. He plays all out all the time. He just has to stay healthy. I think that would be a phenomenal get. Uh, Sean Smith, cornerback from the Chiefs. Um, I'm not as high on him as some people are. I do think he's a great fit for the scheme. He's a just a gigantic specimen, uh, about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, depending on who you're listening to, about 210, 215-ish. He's not real fast. He can get burned that way. But he is very physical, and he is one of the – he's probably the best man corner you will find in this free agent draft. And that is what the Falcons will be looking for is man coverage. That's what Quinn ran in Seattle, and that's what they're looking to set up here. Uh, that leads to Prince of Mukamara, who we talked about. Could be a bit of a value buy if you want to take that risk on his talent. He's got all the talent in the world. It hasn't gelled the way it should in New York, especially when he's playing alongside – um, Dominique Rogers Scramardi, but some team will take a chance on him. And if it's a if it's a cheap deal, I wouldn't mind it because he he can play man. He's big, he's strong, he's fast, and he's got good skills. He just doesn't seem to have the awareness and makes too many dumb penalties. Um, Alex Boone, if you you really need to help your offensive line. Alex Boone from San Francisco is going to be the top guard available, I believe. Fantastic road grader, great run blocker. Uh, he's good in pass protection. Could seem to be a little bit better. But what he really is good for is being that that mean streak, that attitude on your offensive line. This guy has a mean streak a mile long. He would be mm-hmm. a fantastic fit. Um, you'll notice a lot of this is defense because I believe that even though they're at 17th right now, the Falcons have a lot of room to grow defensively. Zach Brown could be another target. Uh, linebacker from the Titans. Again, as has been a theme, he may be the fastest middle linebacker in the league. Ideally, I believe his best spot is as a 4-3 outside backer where you can really use that speed and not have to deal with as many linemen coming at him. Uh, great coverage skills. Uh, out on North Carolina, he's a good tackler, not a great tackler, but he's good. Uh, he's not going to hurt you there. He'll be an upgrade over what you've been running this year. Um, he won't have the pass rush, but if your line gets better, you won't need it. The only thing he has to do is he's got to stay healthy. Uh, if he can do that, He'll be a fantastic buy, and he should be fairly cheap because he's been playing out of position while he's in Tennessee. So that should cheapen him up. That could be a really, really sneaky get. Deshaun Gibson, the free safety for Cleveland. And, yes, I know the the Cleveland secondary is horrible. Not Deshaun Gibson. Deshaun Gibson is one of the more underrated safeties in the league. He's not fast, but he's very quick. He's got really good instincts. Great in zone coverage, which is really, really important for your center fielder. He plays a great, great center fielder at free safety. He's a good, not great tackler, and he needs to get stronger. But he would be an instant upgrade again over anybody you've got between uh, Ricardo Allen and Robinson Parisi. Andre Holmes could also be a sneaky receiver. If they don't get, Mon- uh, if they don't get Marvin Jones, um, Andre Holmes from – from Oakland would be another very sneaky sign. Andre Holmes is one of these guys who's perennially been talked about every year for the past three or four years. Great, talented, great all around. He's fast, he's big, he's strong, he's got good hands. Um, he's good everywhere. He can't stay healthy. And he, it's a little alarming that he couldn't quite crack that Raiders receiving core, but they're not as bad as people think. And he could be a sneaky good number three receiver on a good team, maybe a number two behind Julio. One of the more important ones, you need to update your tight end, and I think really the only the only one I see, the only fit, Dwayne Allen from Indianapolis. He wants to go to a team that will use him as a receiver. 
He's a fantastic blocker, which is why he wants to get out of Indy. Their line has been so bad that he hasn't been able to go running on routes, and he's a far superior blocker to Kobe Fleener, so they've been using Fleener as the receiver. But Dwayne Allen has probably the best hand – Has well, Dwayne Allen has softer hands than Kobe Fleener. Dwayne Allen was one of the best tight ends in the nation when he was at Clemson. That's yeah. the guy you can get cheap, and Dwayne Allen would be a phenomenal, phenomenal get, especially for Matt Ryan to go over the middle. Yes. You get any of these free agents. Ideally, I'm looking for three or four. Um, I think the Falcons, being the Falcons, will get one or two, but I'm hoping they get three or four. And that takes me to the best part of this. Now we are at the mock draft. Now, ideally, if the Falcons do what I think they'll do and they lose the last two, uh, they're not beating Carolina, and I don't particularly think they're going to beat New Orleans now that Drew Brees has got it rolling. They should be picking around anywhere from 12 to 14. Now, the first pick is a little tricky because you're in that in-between mode where there's you don't see many that are just franchise makers, but you don't really want to give any up when you've got that many holes to fill. So that, there's a few different ways they can go. If they end up high and they're at 11th, 12th, and Vernon Hargreaves is on the board, they're taking Hargreaves. Now, you mm-hmm. may not think that there's a big chance for Hargreaves to be on the board, but there is some concern in the scouting communities because he has been getting out-muscled by receivers. Calvin Ridley was able to. Laquan Treadwell tore him apart. And that that's something that's going to be a bit of kind of a look that other teams are going to get. They're going to be a little nervous about that. They shouldn't be because this is the best corner to come out since Joe Hayden, since Patrick Peterson. He's just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Great ball skills. He's got great catch-up speed. He doesn't allow separation. He has shut down potential. He's a good tackler as well. Uh, it's not him. I believe they go tackle, and I believe they go Ronnie Stanley out of Notre Dame. He's a really, really good pass blocker. Um, he's got to improve his functional strength if he wants to stay at left tackle. Um, he's he's decent enough moving, but he's not as strong as he needs to be. He doesn't get enough movement in the run game, so ideally I believe he would be at right tackle. And he would be an instant upgrade on Sh- on Trader. I just don't know if he would be one of these phenomenal ones or if he's going to look like Luke Jokel. Uh, their alternate pick that they could throw a curveball if they want to keep going defense, Adolphus Washington, your guy from Ohio State. If they're picking around sure. 15th or 16th, I think Adolphus would be their guy. Uh, I think Kandichi would be better, but I don't think the Falcons would take that kind of risk on their first-round pick. Adolphus is absolutely disruptive in the middle. Uh, he is in the backfield all the time. He's what freed up Joey Bosa to make himself maybe the number one or two pick in the game. Um, just big, strong, quick, except for getting arrested for solicitation, which could I'm drop in the stop, second round. Stop um, that is a problem. That is a problem. But <laughs> he is a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Falcons rolled the dice to get a disruptive force on that line to pair with Grady Jarrett and to pair with um, Favino. The second round, this one's a little bit easier. I think their number one their number one priority, who they should draft, is fairly easy. I think it should be Kentrell Brothers, an inside linebacker out of Mizzou. Fantastic linebacker. He is around everywhere. He is always nosing in the ball, always making tackles. Once he wraps you up, you don't get away. He hits you hard. Uh his only problem, he's not the fastest, but he has the best instincts in this draft as a linebacker. Uh, to me, his floor profiles to be James Laurinaitis, and I know that's a name you're very familiar with. Yes, if you watch sir, tape, like my daddy. they look very, very similar. If he's gone, 
I think their next would be Von Bell. Uh, he hasn't officially declared yet, but it's pretty much foregone that Von Bell's going oh, yeah, to be draft. Yeah. And that's a strong safety. Who, he's a little bit light. He's under 200, which shocks me. But he plays hard. He's a good tackler, big hitter, good roaming around. He's a, little, he's a step slow, but that's not as important in Quinn's system. You're not really looking for a burner. And uh, Justin Coleman, the corner from Tennessee, could potentially be – that would be my number three option there. Um, he's a very underrated corner. Very, very good man cover corner. Ball skills, good tackler. Uh, he does have a tendency to grab when he's getting ran by. As we get to the third round, you'll notice these start these lists are getting a little bit shorter. I believe third round, I believe they go offensive line again. I believe they go Sebastian Tritola, the guard out of Arkansas. Just a massive, massive man. About 6'4", 320 pounds. Just huge, great, great run blocker, as you'll see from most Arkansas guards. Uh, he needs to kind of be able to move a little bit more in his pass protection. He can get beat a little bit that way. But for what you're getting as a guard, and the Falcons want to get bigger and stronger on that offensive line, Sebastian Tritola is phenomenal. Uh, they could also go Evan Ingram. If they don't get Dwayne Allen, they could go Evan Ingram, the tight end out of Ole Miss, who looks basically like a Jimmy Graham clone. You're not going to ask him to block, uh, but phenomenal pass catcher, runs really good routes, blazing speed for a tight end. Antonio Morrison, the linebacker from Florida, could also be in the mix there. I don't think as much. I don't believe they would, but that wouldn't be a horrible get. He's a good, hard, super intense player. Um, he does have a tendency to get sucked in and bite on the face, but that wouldn't be a bad get either. And the fourth round is where things start to get tricky. I believe if he's there, I believe in the fourth round, they go to Marcus Robinson out of Florida. Now, talent-wise, he's a top 40 player. He's fast. He plays a lot bigger than his listed 6-1. He's got great ball skills. He's great on jump balls. But his best thing is he is an amazing route runner. He does have off-field issues, which is what pushes him down. He's been kicked off. He got suspended four times at Florida. Finally got kicked <laughs> off the team. It'll show you if the Falcons are really still up to keeping their choir boy image. If not, I believe they go linebacker. I believe that would either be Sky Moore out of South Carolina or Eric Stryker. They're both kind of the same guy, a little bit undersized, both really, really fast which is what Dan Quinn needs in this rover-type system. Good tacklers, but undersized so they can get eaten up by blockers. The fifth round. This is what I was talking about. This is my surprise pick of the draft. I've only got Uh-oh. one pick in the fifth round. It should be quarterback Jacoby Brissett out of North Carolina State. Now, that's a name wow. people may be familiar with a little bit. You may think it's an on-pick until you look at his tape. Jacoby Brissett is a big body. He's not gigantic, but he's big. He's 6'2", 235. He's got a strong arm. He's mobile. He's not Kaepernick fast. He's not Cam fast, but he's about Roethlisberger speed-wise. He's hard to bring down, very elusive in the pocket, and he is extremely poised. He is able to stand in the face of the blitz and deliver good balls. He can improve his accuracy a little bit, but I think as a developmental quarterback, I think Jacoby Brissett may be one of the best in this draft. Sixth round. I believe they go wide receiver. I believe I believe the best fit for them would be Malcolm Mitchell out of Georgia. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a Georgia fan. Malcolm Mitchell's a great combination of size, speed, and hands. He's about six foot, two hundred, maybe two oh five once he weighs in. He's probably gonna run a four four, four four five, some somewhere around there. Uh Great hands, very soft. He catches away from the body, which is what you look for. And his yardage after the catch is what is so standout about him. He's 
strong enough to break through tackles, great stiff arms, great moves, very, very elusive. Uh, unfortunately, being everything in Georgia did take away from his development, so he would need to improve his route running and prove he can stay healthy. Outside of that, he could be the steal of this draft. In the seventh round, you kind of get more of your risks, uh, more just you're kind of throwing the dartboards. And I think I think they go uh, Maurice Kennedy out of Virginia. He's a big cornerback, about 6'1", a little bit light, and he's under 200, so he needs to add some size. But he fits best as a press man corner, again, like what Dan Quinn needs like he had in Seattle. It's a low-risk, high-reward pick. And now we get to my priority undrafted free agents. Now, these can make or break your team. These aren't who are drafted, but these are players that you have to have on your teams if you want to be one of these great teams. This is what Seattle, what Green Bay, and what New England are all fantastic at doing is hitting these guys. Number one, Duke Williams out of Auburn. He Again, much like Demarcus Robinson, top 40 talent, but serious off-field concerns. If you're looking for a mm-hmm. guy to profile, he, he almost looks exactly like Derrick Rogers. He needs, a little, he needs some refinement to his game. He's not a natural pass catcher, but he's extremely strong. He's extremely physical, and he would be a great low-risk, high-reward on, on an unguaranteed deal. Keeping with receivers, I think Rashawn Caesar out of Louisiana Monroe. That's a name that not many have heard of. Great production at that small level. Uh, again, whenever you're talking about a small school level, competition is a concern. But in all the team's biggest games against bigger teams, Rashawn Caesar has shown up very well. The problem is I'm not sure about his true speed. Uh, the combine will tell us that. He's a very, very good route runner, good hands. He's very shifty after the catch. I also think Keith Marshall would be a good set here. I think I don't think he's going to get drafted, and it's a shame because he's extremely talented. Uh, fantastic start to his career, got derailed by injuries, and he just got buried in a fantastic backfield. Uh, but if he's fully recovered, he can show that. He's extremely fast. He'll run around a 4-3 or 4-4, four, four, uh, good size at 5'11", 215, he runs hard. He keeps his pad level low. He's a fantastic receiver out of the backfield. Only thing I need to see is I need to see him get the juice back in his legs. He could be your running back steal of the draft. Um, just a few more. Uh, A.J. Stamps, if, you're looking, if you don't take a safety in the draft, A.J. Stamps would be a fantastic free agent to grab. Uh, safety at Kentucky. He's a converted corner from a JUCO program. He is extremely fast. He hits really, really hard. He had a, just a great season at Kentucky. The problem is he played at a lower division for so long that nobody's really seen what he can do. He's a little light, but he is a great risk-reward. Two Georgia linemen, John Theus and Greg Pike. Both of these were former five-stars, big guys. Uh, Pike is perfect in his own scheme, really good technique. He has to get stronger. He can get bull rushed. He needs to get stronger. Theus is good at just about everything except his maneuverability. If he wants to be a consistent starter in this league, He's got to improve his mobility. If he does that, he'll be a he'll be a long-term right tackle. I think his floor is a swingman in the league. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, Ken Crawley, it's a cornerback out of Colorado, who's a guy you, you could take a you could potentially take a take a chance on. Great man corner, good size, quick. Uh, he, he has stone hands, which I think will drop him in the draft. Um, and I've got two more, both linebackers, Reggie Northrop out of FSU. Big name, big pedigree. So he's kind of underwhelmed a little bit. I think that drops him, and he's not the fastest in the world. He hits hard, uh, but he's basically a two-down linebacker, which will hurt him in the draft, but he'd be a good flyer, especially for special teams. 
And the best one of the bunch who, if the Falcons, if he isn't drafted, and he could very well be drafted when other teams start to see him in these games, Akil Blunt from Florida A&M, extremely Damn. underrated linebacker because he's at Florida A&M. He is all over the field, great instincts, probably the number two behind Kentrell Brothers. Great tackler, wraps up every time, very quick first step. He's not the fastest, <clears throat> but he gets where he needs to go. He's very thick-bodied, 6'1", about 243. And if you get him as an undrafted free agent, he will be a total steal, could be a long-time starter in this league, could be a Pro Bowl talent. And that is my off-season plan for the Falcons. Thank you for sticking with me. Wow. I mean, that is a lot of stuff to digest there, sir. hope everybody downloads the podcast. Rewind and pull it back so you can listen to it again. And I'm sure he's probably on a lot of these. Uh, we're probably going to get cut off, so I just want to say thank you, everybody, for downloading the podcast and listening to us. We'll be back next week to talk about the New Year's Six Bowls. Have a fantastic Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well, sir. Uh, Mr. Dillon, I hope everything is great on your end, and I will be in touch with you. Merry Christmas, buddy. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll text because some craziness will happen. I'll, I'll put my red thing first next week because they're killing me. And – 